Blog Talk Radio. Hello, hello, and welcome to the latest Outsports podcast. This is Jim in Los Angeles. Uh, joined today by our good friend and contributor, Eric Hall. Eric, you there? I'm trying to get Eric. Are you there, Eric? Well, I don't. So we're having a little technical difficulties. Uh, when I get Eric on board, we'll bring him on. We're going to have a guest in a little bit. Uh, he's a marathon runner. Um, actually ran the marathon um, Philadelphia to raise money for the Trevor Project, Phil Cloudy. Um, we're going to talk to Phil about his uh, tremendous story he wrote for Outsports. Um, still trying to get Eric on hold. Um, we'll get him back. Um, anyway, uh, Sid is gone this week, and our Outsports podcast is sponsored by AT&T, Mobilizing Your World. Um, if you look at Outsports today, we have some really good stories. Uh, one was gay athlete Tanner Williams, uh, he does pole vault at the University of Oklahoma, was named one of the team's co-captains, an openly gay athlete who was married, which is a fantastic thing. And um, since Tanner came out a year ago, he's heard uh, nothing, uh, no negatives at all. Um, Eric, are you on? Yeah. How are you, Jim? Oh, good. How are you? And we had a little technical difficulties there. Sorry about that. Yeah, I, um, I could hear you, but you couldn't hear me, I guess, so. Yeah, well, it's a lot of dead air, I guess, for <laughs> for listeners. But I was talking about the stories we've had in Outsports this week. Uh, Tanner Williams, uh, named co-captain of his Oklahoma track and field team. We had a coming-out story by a runner in Wisconsin, Greg Arthur. And we had a coming-out story by an athletic director, assistant athletic director in South Dakota. So we're kind of hitting, you know, what, what don't seem to be traditional you know, uh, urban meccas of, of, of America, and it really shows that this whole gay issue has become kind of a nationwide thing. I actually uh, had a little bit of a conversation with uh, Greg because I know one of his teammates at uh, Wisconsin Platteville. I've covered uh, his teammate Andrew Smith when he was in high school at uh, Bureau Valley High School in Illinois. So uh, I was able to connect with uh, Greg about that a little bit. Yeah, Greg wrote a really terrific story, and um, a lot of the similarities with our next guest, um, Phil Cloudy, coming up, I want to talk to him about. Uh, but uh, Jared Indahl is uh, Assistant Athletic Director at Dakota State University in South Dakota, and his piece came out yesterday, and he got a personal message from the school president uh, thanking him for his courage and for telling his stories. It really kind of shows the kind of places you wouldn't think these things are possible are, are possible kind of pretty much kind of routinely. Yeah, that's that's incredible for the the university president to, to respond like that. And um, the Tanner Williams story at Oklahoma, pretty cool to have an yeah. openly gay um, track athlete being named a co-captain. Yeah, that's that's exciting. It sounds like he had a uh, had a lot of support from his his teammates, and um, it's something he. It sounds like he really wanted. So that's exciting that but he's going to get that opportunity and hopefully his track season goes well. So what do you think that, does this mean anything, these things? I mean, are they simply one more building block or how does it work? Um, 
I, I remember when I wrote about Greg DeSteven that in 2010 or whatever, he was a captain of Missouri uh, swimming and diving team. So um, I, 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 I think it's great anytime uh, LGBT athlete is accepted by his team. Um, I'm not sure. Oh, uh, what the, what what this really means, but it, I think I think it's great for that community to show that kind of support. And um, we're waiting for our guest to be on uh, Heisman Trophy. You have a pick. Um, I was hoping the guy from Navy would get John, it. Uh, John, Sean yeah. Watson, Christian McCaffrey, and Derrick Henry. Yeah, I, I think Derrick Henry is going to get it based on what what I've seen. But I, I was hoping the Navy guy would at least get invited to. Uh, the ceremony. I thought that was such a, a great story that the, the quarterback from Navy sets the all-time rushing touchdown record. I think it is, and um, but um, it, it, he didn't seem to get enough support. I guess. Well, we had a poll of who's the hottest uh, of the Heisman Trophy people, and in a landslide, it was Christian McCaffrey from Stanford. No surprise there. I mean, he's. <laughs> His daddy uh, Ed was was really hot with the Denver Broncos, and Christians had some really good uh, some really good genes. But uh, let's, uh, <clears throat> changing subjects, uh, I think we have uh, Phil on the line. Phil, you there? I am. Yeah. It's Phil Cloudy uh, from Dartmouth. Uh, Phil contacted yeah. us. I don't know, maybe two months ago, two and a half months ago, about wanting a little publicity for running the Philadelphia Marathon. It was November twenty second. And he wanted to, you know, use uh, the run to raise money for the Trevor Project, which helps at-risk LBGT uh, youth. It's a fantastic organization. And so I, Phil and I talked, and I asked him to write a kind of a first-person account. And he wrote just a fantastic article. I think, in my mind, one of the best articles we've ever had an athlete submit uh, talking about, you know, your struggles with depression and how it related to coming out and how kind of running saved you and how now you're using running to running to kind of pay it forward. So uh, mm-hmm. I think your goal initially was $1,000 uh, for the Trevor yes. Project. And as mm-hmm. it kind of, <laughs> after the first day, I think you already upped it to 1500 <laughs> and you wound yep. up with how much money? Uh, exactly $8,575 is what it came to. Just pretty incredible to me. Yeah, I was going to say, what uh, did everything exceed your expectations? Did you expect the story to have that much sort of uh, get that much attention? Oh, I mean, incredibly. I went into this experience in writing this article really um, with the hope that you know, if it touched one person, if it impacted just one person, you know, that would be a success story for me. Um, I was very nervous and very apprehensive, as you could imagine, to to be that personal and expose myself that much. Um, but, you know, right, after, right off the bat, um, just the reception was incredible. And um, like you said, it just shot past my original goal of $1,000 within the, the first 24 hours, which was so incredible. And it kind of just uh, kept climbing and kept gaining momentum, you know, as the campaign went along and my, Sherry's, uh, my story was shared more and more. So, yeah, I mean, I couldn't have, couldn't have asked for, you know, a more incredible response. So uh, this is Eric Hall. Uh, how long did it take uh, you to write that? Um, I think I contacted Jim uh, in early September, if that's correct. Um, yeah, yeah, and it, Yeah, so it went through quite a few drafts. Um, the first draft I had was incredibly different from what the final product was. 
Um, it probably took me about a few weeks to really polish it and um, put it through the final edits. Um, you know, I was I was very reserved in my first edit and my first draft of the story, but I realized that you know I wanted it to be something real and something that comes from my heart and that people can connect to. And I felt that the more I exposed myself, and I guess the more uncomfortable I felt with what I was writing, the better it was because that meant it was more genuine and more authentic. So the, I kind of pushed myself to, you know, push the limits of my, my comfortable, comfortableness with what I was writing um, and what I was exposing. And so it kind of just took off from there. And uh, Jim and I worked together and probably pushed it out, yeah, in the beginning of November. So it was just a few weeks, over a month. Yeah, I think we must have kind of, I don't know how many, a dozen or so edits of little things and big yeah. things. and what I noticed the first version it would it seemed like it was written so dispassionately like you were describing right. something from another person that happened a decade ago and then once you sort of broke through that barrier it became a much right. more effective story right and I think uh you know that was the final piece and what made it click for me and I think what it made it click for a lot of people because like we discussed when we were making the final edits um it comes down to being something that people can really relate to and I found that you know, putting myself in the story and really putting everything I have and my entire experience in, uh, out there is what really made it, uh, you know, relatable, I guess. Phil, I thought one thing that was kind of interesting, you didn't, you, you talked about, like, people helping you, but you didn't mention anybody by name. I was, I'm curious if, if you want to take this platform now to mention maybe people by name that helped you uh, in your journey. Yeah, um, by name, I guess. I mean, everyone in my family, you know, once I exposed, you know, what I was going through were just incredibly understanding. And my uh, sister Celeste and my sister Julia, um, especially, um, just because they they had felt, um, they had been with me throughout the entire process of me coming out. Um, and when I exposed them, you know, that I'm also struggling with depression, they were there with me every step of the way. Um, but that was kind of at my, my uh, at-home support network. Um, but at school, uh my friend Kelsey and my friend Rex, I ran the marathon with them. Um, and those two were always there for me and kind of served as a safety net for me at school and really were just there every step of the way, like I said, um, checking in with me and making sure um, that I was doing okay and that I was coping with my sexuality and coping with my depression properly. Um, and not they didn't really know what to do, you know, to help me through that process, but they were always just there. Um, to help me out. And, you know, as, like I said in my article, the more I um, was public and open about my struggle, the more support I gained. So, you know, friends from school, people who I, you know, really didn't know that well, um, who had heard about what I was going through, um, you know, were reaching out and kind of helping me whatever way they could. So it really came from all over, but those people especially. Well, I don't think I've let you know, Phil, but uh, we submitted your article to, uh, for a Glad Media Award for the year. So, oh wow, I did uh, not know that. Thank you. <laughs> we 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 thought it was so good. We don't, you know, nominations. Well, no, who knows if we'll get a nomination, but it deserves it, and, uh, and that's how good of an article it was. Um, wow. Well, I wanted to talk to you about that. something that um, you mentioned, and it's it's sort of a running thread. We've had stories, including this week, by a young runner named Greg Arthur. Um, mm -hmm. We've had a piece by a hockey referee last week, and I wanted to have him on today. He just couldn't make it. It would have been good for you two guys to talk. 
And it's about yeah. the whole, I mean, all depression stuff. And it's about the idea that externally, uh, talking just about you three specifically, but it goes beyond that, that there was nothing mm-hmm. externally that was critical of your sexuality. People weren't picking on you. They weren't calling you fag. And yet mm-hmm. you had support of family, friends. And yet there's still something internal about the coming out process and acceptance that still made you know, all three of you go into really deep depressions. Can you try to get, get at why when there's no external things, there's still an internal thing? Like what is it about sort of being gay and the culture and coming out that makes it still a struggle for people? Right. Yeah. Um, I really think that comes down to the stigma that is against um, both depression and homosexuality, you know you grow up being kind of the other, so to speak. And, you know, you can't really relate to people. You can't really feel connected in that same sense that, you know, um, heterosexual people feel connected. So it just becomes something that you feel is a flaw or you feel is inferior or wrong or different just by the fact of it being different from the norm um, is kind of what makes it something that, you're not necessarily sure how to feel about. And, you know, there's a lot of fear that's generated, the the speculation that goes on, the constant wondering about how people will react to your coming out and how people will respond. I certainly um, generates a lot of unnecessary worry and a lot of, um, like I said, just fear. It's constant fear. It's constant playing out the scenario in uh, your mind about how it'll go about. And, you know, um, for me, like after coming out, I know my acceptance, my road to acceptance really like I still struggled with it because, you know, it's not possible to kind of iron out every fear that you had growing up in just a matter of months or weeks or whatever. So um, it was something, it's certainly a process and it uh, definitely speaks to um, the stigma that we experience against depression and homosexuality is something that we internalize rather than uh, deal with publicly. Um, Phil, uh, you mentioned Rex earlier, uh, how, what, like he came out publicly, uh, last spring or, or, or he'd come out before you, uh, quite a bit before you did publicly at least. Like what, at what point along that did you meet him and how did he help you, uh, accept yourself? Yeah. I mean, Rex served as an incredible mentor throughout my entire uh, process of coming out and coming to terms with my sexuality. He certainly was a role model in the Dartmouth community for what he did, uh, but in the LGBT community as well, because he was really trying to make change and kind of challenge these stereotypes and stigmas that are against LGBT youth. Um, so I met him probably in the beginning of the fall and throughout, you know, the entire struggle with um, depression and with coming out. He would uh, served, like I said, I mentioned earlier, just as an incredible resource and a, a safety net for me. Yeah. So talk a bit about, uh, not the reaction just from on camera, like from emails you got from people. Were there any that you can relate, you know, that were special or from, you know, other athletes or other people going through it and kind of give us a sense of, of, of the kind of reaction you got outside, you know, just from the article itself? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So, what I think was most interesting about it was that, you know, my journey really isn't all that unique. And unfortunately, my struggle isn't all that unique. Um, so I got emails which were, you know, great 
and so heartwarming and so touching to receive such kind of kind of reception about my article, but it was also kind of saddening to me because it only spoke to uh, the prevalence and the universality of depression in the LGBT community. Um, what I found was a really interesting aspect of it, though, was um, how so many people found their outlets. They found their running. They found their, you know, marathon experience um, in different ways. One person found it through music. The other found it through crew. Um, it just was really interesting to me that, you know, people have walked the same path that I have walked, and they've experienced the same um, adversity that I had experienced and struggles that I experienced, um, but they just dealt with it in different ways. Um, but what was also amazing was that I received kind words from people, you know, who don't even identify um, as LGBT or, you know, girls and the people all over the world. It was really incredible kind of just the extent to which my uh, article impacted people. Yeah, I couldn't really, couldn't really express it any other way. So uh, I like the line in your uh, article where you said the completion of the marathon symbolized the completion of the marathon that was my depression. Mm-hmm. Is is it something you feel like you're past the depression now, or is it something you still deal with occasionally? Yeah, so I did, uh, yeah, I remember that line. And what I say after that is kind of, you know, you don't stop running because you don't stop running away from your depression and towards something better. Um, and to stop running is to succumb to your depression. Um, I certainly think it's a constant process and just being on top of it and just being in control of it is so gratifying and kind of what I was trying to convey with that, with that line is that kind of, I had finally flipped or turned the tables and now it was no longer the depression controlling me, but I was in control of my depression. And of course, um, anyone who has depression and who struggles with depression or suicidal tendencies uh, can speak to how, you know, it creeps up on you at times. Um, But that just comes down to putting it in perspective and realizing how far you've come and kind of, taking it as a whole and looking at it from uh, a, remove, a removed perspective and kind of just um, trying to, you know, remind yourself of how far you've come and how much of, uh, how far you are away from your lowest point. Um, so, yes, in a sense, I have, you know, overcome my depression, um, but I mean it in the sense that I am now in control of it. Well, let's talk a bit about the actual marathon itself. I mean, mm-hmm. was it an easy run for you? Was it something that halfway through you said, uh, <laughs> "Why am I doing this?" I mean, what was the what was the feeling like as you're actually doing it? Was the weather okay? Was it perfect running condition? What was it like to actually run the race? Are we talking about the first marathon? Yeah, Philadelphia, Philadelphia marathon. marathon? Oh, well, that was a surreal experience. It was it was really incredible. Um, it was a very emotional experience for me, surprisingly enough. Of why I was running was kind of running through the back of my mind. Um, physically, was interesting. I actually twisted my ankle at mile four, which was not good. I guess uh, Philadelphia didn't do a good job of covering up their potholes. But um, <laughs> so physically, it was a little bit of a challenge. Um, but I made it through and I powered through, and it was just an incredible experience. I think there were in total 30,000 people there. So to be running with all and just having people line the streets the entire way. Um, was so surreal and so amazing. Like, it was probably one of, you know, just the most amazing experiences I've ever had. 
So I think the Eagles were probably playing that day, and if they were losing, were people like cursing as they were running because they were like listening to the game on their headset <laughs> or something? <laughs> I saw a lot of signs that said, hurry up, the game's on That's what, uh, at noon, <laughs> or, you know, hurry up so we can start drinking, you know, those kind of things. But, <laughs> no, a lot of people were out to support us, which was so, so incredible. Yeah, the Eagles lost no, that day 45-17 to Tampa Bay, so I imagine there was a lot of <laughs> – they didn't miss much. They would have been better off running than – they would have really needed a stiff drink after that. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Now, Phil, you were a three-sport athlete in high school, and you, you then rode uh, a little bit once you got to Dartmouth. Where does this marathon rank among your athletic achievements? I'd say, you know – it's probably one of probably if not like the um highestly highest regarded achievements I've had. Um <laughs> I'd say so definitely. I grew up sprinting um uh, when I was running track and my family we never ran longer than four hundred meters, which was just a lap around the track. Um we were always terrified of running during the mile test in grade school, middle school and high school. It's just a joke a running joke in our family that we are not distance runners. Um so to train for a marathon, which is 26 miles, which is something, you know, even when I was recruited to Dartmouth for crew, I could hardly do two miles. So just like overcoming, you know, my inability to really be endurance and uh, being able to, you know, just overcome something that I just thought was such a huge and unattainable goal, um, I think just that's what makes it so important to me and such an accomplishment to myself. Hey, I want you to talk a bit about the reason you actually ran this, the Trevor Project. You want to tell people mm-hmm. listening who don't know what the Trevor Project is, what it does, um, why you pick them, and what kind of that they've kind of meant to you and what they can mean to other LGBT people. Yeah, so I'll just start off with uh, what the Trevor Project does. Um, essentially, it serves as a suicide hotline for LGBT youth, and it serves as a resource for people who want to educate themselves on depression and the prevalence of depression and suicide in the LGBT community um, with this um, concentration on the youth. Um, And so over the summer, um, after I'd come out publicly on Facebook in the spring, I was approached by um, childhood, and they came out to me um, and revealed to me their struggle, and I was struck by how many of them were struggling with depression and suicide. and I gained a lot of satisfaction and a lot from knowing, you know, that I could help them with my own experiences and using my own experiences to kind of steer them away from the path that I was on when I struggled with my depression and kind of steer them away from my moment at the pond. Um, and that meant a lot to me, and I wanted to do more work with that. So at the end of the summer and the beginning of the fall, I did some research and I found the Trevor Project, and I'd heard about it from a few friends. Um, and it really kind of just resonated with me, and I wanted to do work, so to work with them. So I kind of just combined um, the two things I was most passionate about and the two things that really comprise um, my struggle. And so, uh, yeah, I just decided to run the Philadelphia Marathon in my, you know, my home city and uh, run it for the Trevor Project, which is, yeah. Phil, do you have any say in how that Eight eight thousand plus dollars you're donating will be used. Um, no, I don't. You know, I think everything that the Trevor Project is doing is incredible, um, and I know that it'll be put to good use and to help people struggling and 
probably will be put to better use than I could have put uh, put it to use, so to say. Um, so I'm not quite sure what it's going to be used for, but I know it will be used to help people. And that's really all that matters. Well, final question. Um, uh-huh. You're such a, you're an excellent, graceful writer. Uh, do you plan on doing more of this kind of public writing or speaking about these issues? I mean, because you really have such an interesting perspective. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm not sure yet. Uh, we'll see. We'll see where you know I go from here. I definitely want to do more work with the Trevor Project um, and more work regarding um, you know depression, suicide, and the LGBT community. But you know, as a whole in our society, I don't know what form that help will take. Um, I was really surprised by you know the reception uh, to my article and you know my writing style. I didn't really think I'm an incredible writer by any means. So. Um, to get that feedback, I guess, only encourages me to do more writing, but we'll see what else is out there for me. Oh, and final postscript, are you going to be uh, uh, joining the Dartmouth track team in the spring? Uh, we'll see. So I really uh, sustained an injury from um, the marathon. It was after the marathon. It's kind of my knees messed up now, so I can hardly walk. So I'm kind of out of commission right now, but we'll see what happens at to be determined. Well, good. We hope you heal up fast and you're back on the track. And I really want to thank you for for kind of sharing your story, writing the article, raising the money. And uh, it kind of really exceeded, uh, I know it exceeded my expectations too. So really proud of what you did. And thanks for uh, joining the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. All right, Phil, have a Merry Christmas. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, and if you want to read Phil's story, uh, go to outsports.com. Um, it's fantastic. It really is one of the best things we've um, we've run. Uh, I want to talk a bit. Uh, I don't know if you were familiar with the Cristiano Ronaldo story that came out this week, Eric. Yeah, I had seen it, uh, and then I, I really like to take you, you guys took on it. Uh, I don't remember what. Well, let me give some background. Were... Uh, Ronaldo Ronaldo is really good friends with a. Moroccan kickboxer and the Moroccan kickboxer has posted a lot of pictures of them kind of, you know, he's holding Ronaldo, uh, you know, in one thing. And they made a joke about being married and it kind of led to all this speculation that they're having a gay relationship. And my take was, I think it's just two confident straight guys kind of goofing on everybody. Um, and other people disagree. What do you have a take on it? Um, my, my take so far is I'm glad he hasn't had the reaction Aaron Rodgers did. Um, Aaron Rodgers seemed to freak out when people suggested he was gay and Ronaldo has taken the approach. People can think what they think. It seems like, and I, I, that's what I've taken from it so far as I appreciate, uh, how Ronaldo's react, reacted to it, at least from what I've seen. Well, the other, the kickboxer, uh, Barry Hadar is a Muslim and one of our longtime commentators, sport and life has a whole series of why they're not gay. And uh, he just said, I hope I'm wrong and Hader becomes the first superstar Muslim here to come out of the closet, but I wouldn't know how to hold my breath. And that was one of my points is that Morocco, homosexuality is illegal. And I doubt that, you know, if they were in a relationship, they would be that ballsy and open about it to put it out on Instagram. I mean, it's it's done so provocatively that I do think it's, I mean, Ronaldo, I think, no matter what you think of him, is totally comfortable in his sexuality. He likes gay people. He likes his gay fans. He, I think he likes anybody who kind of worships them. 
You know, I think yeah. it's that vain, but in a good way, it's like, I don't care. You want to think I'm gay? You can think what you want to. I know what I am. And so I thought it was interesting how, though, just pictures of two guys together gets people, even in the gay community, kind of thinking. And I think, in a sense, we have to allow straight males to have affectionate friendships. I mean, you know, I think, in, in a sense, we're also lusting for role models as gay people that we see this. We go, oh, my God, this, these guys are gay. Now, the Aaron Rodgers is a totally different case. We won't get into that. But I think in this yeah. case, you know, why can't two two guys who like each other kind of screw around and get a little physical with each other? Yeah, I... I I, as I said, I, I really like the take that you guys took because uh, the first few stories I saw about it were people trying to scandal, like were websites trying to scandalize what they were doing. Um, I really like the take that, as I said, I don't remember whether it was you or Sid that wrote the story, but that, uh, yeah, I wrote it. But it's okay for. So. And if I'm wrong, and Ronaldo and uh, Hadir are a couple, I'd be the first to congratulate them. So uh, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But. Uh, that's all the time we have today. Eric, appreciate you pinch hitting again. Um, no problem. Uh, you've been Anytime. writing our you're writing our regular LGBT gay athletes column for Outsports, and um, uh, you get coming out stories kind of coming kind of pretty much all the time. So uh, you do a great job, and uh, appreciate you doing the podcast, which is sponsored by AT and T Mobilizing Your World. So it'll be back next week, um, and then we'll have some of our year-end stuff, awards, heroes, <coughs> a-hole of the year, and various things. So um, until then, we will talk to you later, and um, have a good rest of your week. You too.